1: At KPMG, our people make the difference. Combining the power of people and technology, we uncover brighter insights, innovate bolder solutions, and create better data-driven outcomes.
2: KPMG. Make the difference.
1: Welcome to John Richardson and the Future Nots, the book of revelations. And I'll tell you what, suck on this. I know what episode it is and what we're talking about. It's episode eight and it's our end of year review. I know who I am. I'm John Richardson. I know who you are. You're Mark Stevenson. <laughs> and the other fella, that's Ed Gillespie.
2: Yeah? Hey. But you know what? It's It's only taken two Christmases for you to get our
0: names right. Yeah. Episode 32.
2: Yeah, well done. <laughs> Picked a hell
1: of a time to get slick. So we're here to discuss 2021 and the riot it's been. So let's start with a, an email from a listener. Because um, what I, I asked the other week, what do you do when you listen to this show? And we've had an email from Jen in Liverpool. And since it's the end of year, I'm going to bring the accents back. So here's uh, Jen in Liverpool, who says... I know the ask is to let you know what we do when we're listening to the podcast. I'm going to Ricky listen. <laughs> I thought, right, I thought I'd let you know what I no longer do while listening in the hope that you'll introduce a health warning. Uh, anyways, I listen while I'm exercising in the morning. During season one, my exercise consisted of gymnastics, which often involved handstand work. Not knowing quite what to expect from the podcast, I thought nothing of being in an inverted position that required every muscle to be tense while my head hovered inches above a wooden floor. Now, I'm sure you'll have worked this out but unexpected bouts of laughter aren't conducive to keeping tension throughout your body. (laughs) I had a few near misses in the early episodes, especially when John attempted the Scandinavian accent. I hope you're enjoying this one, Jen. You're cracked your head open. (laughs) Then the test happened. Severe bruising and a TBI later. I decided to retire from gymnastic work while listening to the future notes. Nice one on the pod. It's a belter. (laughs) <laughs> um so that's it's a shame she was enjoying the podcast it's a shame she can't listen anymore i think we're i think we've become less popular in liverpool than the sun in the last
0: half is this where we've got to in 2021 though <laughs> that you need to have a health warning on your podcast like do not listen to this whilst in an inverted position with <laughs> every skeletal muscle in your body intention
1: trying to turn the bloody system upside down right guys
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: yeah so while we're Hemorrhaging listeners, let's get rid of Deborah from Melbourne. <laughs> she says, Greetings all. <laughs> I was very much enjoying your podcast and the concise and very informative chat with Jane Davidson. And Raymond Dallar. However, the whole thing was spoiled by the mention of Scott Morrison and his coal crap. My hackles rose and I may have dropped an F-bomb. That man who sat in Parliament with a lump of fisk in his lap telling Parliament clean coal is the way of the future, and his cohorts laughed and agreed. You can Google this. The man has no concept of what's going on in our country. He does not believe in climate change and only goes to these overseas summits so he can say he's mates with whoever. The man is a knob. <laughs> um so a correction there for Deborah. I don't remember mentioning Scott Morrison. We we didn't say he was a good guy, did we? No, 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 no. Definitely Jane, didn't.
2: Jane Jane was referring to his uh, his ridiculousness in kind of, you know, promoting coal while there's wildfires across, you know, huge yeah. swathes of the country, you know, destroying citizens' livelihoods and indeed killing them. So, you know.
0: Yeah, he literally goaded his own uh, political opposition across the floor of the parliament by waving a piece of coal around and saying, this is coal, don't be afraid. You know, and yeah, then, and then shortly afterwards, you know, the half the country's on fire and it's like, actually we probably should be a little bit afraid, you know. Yes. just on a, on a simply pragmatic basis.
1: Yeah, I mean, it would have been a braver thing to turn up with a piece of nuclear metal in your pocket, I suppose, and say this is the alternative and hold up some rapidly degrading nuclear matter. Um, coals are sort of, in that sense, a safer option, but not for the planet. But that speaks to where the, the emails are at and, and we put out for, you know, questions and things like that what we got a lot of people saying very nice things about the podcast which is lovely but in the context of the fact that we take it as read that everything is horrific the news is awful and those that are of the disposition that they want to try and help feel more upset than ever so the podcast is a sort of ray of hope in a in a broken world is that is that how you both feel about things at the moment Has your 2021 been one of optimism do you feel better than you did this time last year or worse
0: Ooh. That's a good question. Um, mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it is kind of like the, the regular grist. When you've been working in this stuff as long as we have, um, you know, I, I think it's half my life now. But I think you have to sort of try and take it the rough with the smooth. And I'm not sure I'm more optimistic than this time last year, but there are weak signals from the future as some futurists like to say and i think you have to be a bit stoic particularly when we're in the kind of the pandemic furore that we're still embedded in that i think perhaps last year there were some it's a few sort of shafts of light with potential vaccines coming in and everything Um uh, and i think we realize it's not that simple now so i, I think for me on balance it's like you know you just got to keep on keeping on mm. It's very much a Groundhog Day situation.
2: I I feel, you know, oh, yeah, oh, no, oh, yeah, oh, no, oh, oh no. It's a bit like, so I think, I mean, it's just like, you know, for us, it's kind of like, it's just the job is that Mm. you, you resolutely maintain some kind of pragmatic optimism. How about you, John? How are you feeling after another year? Well,
1: I I, I mean, I would echo what you've said. I've got to a point where I feel more involved than I... So last year, obviously, we'd we'd started the podcast, but I I wouldn't say outside of the podcast I was as involved. This would be the first year that I've done some climate work outside of this podcast. I've had a massive argument with my wife about whether we can fly on holiday anymore. Um, So Mm -hmm. I've brought it very much to home. And work-wise, I've turned down a lot of work I'm not necessarily saying I would have definitely done it in the past, but for example, recently I got offered the best thing I've ever been offered, which is traveling around South America, talking about football and just couldn't do it. And knew instantly when the email came in that there's no way I can take that job, but then had an instant fury that someone's going to take it. And I'm going to watch that program in a year or two, whenever it comes out. And I'm going to see a comic that took the thing that I could have had and and, and it's the knowledge that they probably won't get any criticism for it. But you, but you, you could have taken it, John. I, no, I don't think I could. Not after the argument with my wife. You know, if, if we're not allowed to fly on holiday, I can't go to meet, you know.
2: But you, yeah, footballers. but, it, you know, I'm building a carbon removals company, so you could have done it and I could have got, your, you know, all your carbon removed and you could have done it and not had the argument with your wife. <sighs>
0: <laughs> this is the Mark Stevenson get out of climate change jail free. <laughs>
1: Well, that will I mean, that will be of, uh, of genuine appeal to listeners, carbon removal. Is that something you want to talk about now? Is that something we're going to talk about in the future on the
2: podcast? We are. We're going to have Dr. Gabriel Walker on and we're going to talk about it in detail. I mean, it's not possible now, but we will, you know, the, all the science says we have to build the industry, whether we like it or not. It is possible to do. It's expensive and it's complicated and there's a lot of snake all about, but we're going to talk about that in depth in the new year.
1: Yeah, okay. So I couldn't have taken the South American gig, really. But what I can do is make a sort of carbon-neutral British version where I travel to Matlock and meet the players of Matlock Town, which I'm sure will be as exciting as filming in Argentina and Especially if you speak to them only in Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Why not? Do do you have... specific things because we do try and focus on the positive so let's talk about the are there specific things you would look back on accepting that answer that you know it's wins and losses and the fight remains let's list some things that you can look back on 2021 and start optimistically and categorically saying these are good things that have happened this year
0: i mean for me there's a there's a bunch of climate stuff which has been like genuine milestones where you're going and things which have you know actually pleasantly surprised me So, uh, you know, back in May, the International Energy Agency, which is like, you know, the the industry body of the energy world, um, which has always been used as a bit of a fig leaf covering the immodesty of some of the fossil fuel giants, you know, and they basically published their new net zero pathway, which essentially said there was no need for any new oil and gas exploration, no new oil and gas fields required, and no new coal mines in order to meet the net zero energy pathway through to 2050. And that was huge because that was like a sort of, um, you know, it was a shot across the bows of the whole industry because this is their industry body saying, you know, all of your new oil and gas that you're talking about, like Cambo field uh, up off Shetland that we've been debating in the UK is not necessary. Actually, we can find a way through this by filling the gap and filling the shortfall with renewables. So that was massive. And then that was sort of directly connected into a couple of other things where, Just immediately after that, the Danish Environment Minister then argued that basically they're going to put a moratorium on new oil and gas exploration in Danish waters. And Denmark is the biggest exporter of oil and gas in the EU because Norway's just outside it. So that was huge. And and then that was closely followed up by the Shell uh, ruling in the Netherlands, the the Dutch High Court, in a citizen's case, bought by 17,000 Dutch citizens which required them to cut their carbon emissions by 45% by 2030. And the interesting thing about that is that, A, it's a massive existential challenge to Shell, with basically saying that the highest court in the Netherlands, arguing that they have got to genuinely cut their emissions significantly harder and faster than they were planning on doing. But what it really proved was actually this idea of tort law, T-O-R-T. And tort law is essentially knowingly inflicting harm on others which is actually quite a basic principle uh, of general public law. And, and you know, for our friends at uh, places like Client Earth, this is huge because if that gets passed through as case law and there are already 1,800 climate lawsuits pending around the world, um, which could all be influenced by this tort law precedent, then that's absolutely massive. And, you know, Mark and I have both sort of, I think, intimated that we think you know these legal actions on climate are going to accelerate and intensify and they're going to be a lot more of them and and i think this is starting to open the floodgates. so i think legally on climate we're starting to get into a really interesting position where uh, we might actually have some genuine muscle of the full force of the law starting to be brought to bear on some of the the shifty gerrymandering of some of the biggest emitters on the planet
2: yeah and i think For me, the the big thing is like culturally now, you know, COP26 was, you know, a bit of a mixed bag, but there's no way you can deny now that pretty much every, well, every nation in fact is having to orientate itself around that story. It's like, what are you doing about climate? Even if they're trying to fudge it, it's no longer like, oh, we can ignore it. It's like everybody has to react to it. So we've got this direction of travel. It's too late. But, you know, the whole playing field has kind of changed over the last two years where you know it used to be it'd be impossible to say things like you know your company has to have a net zero strategy at cop 26 every uk company above a certain size is being told by rishi shunak they have to publish a net zero strategy you know so everybody's now orientating themselves against that story it's kind of the foundational story of our times it's 30 years too late but that's you know a huge opportunity. And one quote that I go back to a lot when it comes to change that I always find very hopeful is Bill Gates, who actually said, We always overestimate what we'll do in two years, and we completely underestimate what we'll do in 10. And I think it'd be very interesting in 10 years time to see where we are on this kind of journey towards renewables and carbon removal and, you know, biodiversity renewal. I think it'll be hopefully quite surprising. I mean, that's what keeps the fuel in my tank. Who knows? But that's the that, that's the rest of my career.
1: I mean, presumably, I mean, the, the the sort of messaging at the moment is that we'll know far sooner than 10 years.
0: Well, yeah, we're, well, we're, I think we're, that's the, the the downside of all of that. You know, I'm going to say those are the sort of stirrings of some dark guarded optimism. Um, I use the word optimism tentatively. I think you balanced
1: uh, it out with the words dark and guarded. I think <laughs> the just <gist> came across.
0: <laughs> but the, I think that's the other thing. You know, we're already seeing not that climate collapse, but, you know, the heat dome in Canada, you know, another season of crazy wildfires, the catastrophic floods in Germany, you know, the most recently, the kind of insanely intense tornadoes in America, yeah, you know, outside of tornado season. Um, so I, I think you also simultaneously, whilst we're seeing these little green shoots of a shift and a, and a change. We're also seeing things get worse. Mm.
2: Yeah, it's a very interesting time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> that oddly sounded more sinister than the dark-guarded
1: optimism. <laughs> You've really gone Bond villain this evening, Mark. I <laughs> like it. It's a very interesting time then, to be
2: alive. Live, Mr. Bond. <laughs> but know it is a thing. I mean, I definitely feel that at the moment. I, one of the things I've, learned, I've had to learn this year is to almost become resigned to the fact that it's never going to be sorted in my lifetime and I'm going to have to learn to live to be happy in a very uncertain world and that's quite that's quite a big challenge well we should come on to personal happiness because you know you know what it made me think
1: of when you were talking I just read the statement of Laura Koonsberg who's retiring as the BBC chief political editor and she said in her statement you know what a wonderful time to have had this job and that is very much a I don't imagine she's enjoyed all of it. And, you know, she's trended on Twitter more than most because we live in a very angry time. But her view is, well, what a time to have this job. And and I guess the two of you have to have something of an element of that to protect your own mental well-being is to say, well, if this is the fight you want, then now's the time to have it.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, and, and that's connected into, you know, this other idea, which I think would be one of my highlights, which is the outspokenness, uh, you know, of the debate now. Um, you know I wrote this piece earlier this year about breaking a murder you know the sort of Italian code of silence for so many people who work professionally in that sort of sustainability world because arguing that in many ways you know people have become complicit with you know the system effect- effectively defending itself or slowing down the pace of change to one with which it is comfortable as opposed to having these genuine breakthrough transformative type of moments and i think there's something really powerful that's that started to happen there where people realizing you know um, am i just propping up the status quo in some way uh, and offering it you know some kind of fig thing to protect it or am i genuinely involved in the radical change that we need and i think some of that soul searching is now becoming more public too so on the on
1: the personal then talking about you know maintaining positivity are are there any personal things i I would usually ask a trivial question here but it's a nice time to look back on your year personally and
0: ask if there's anything that's made you feel happy i I moved house relocating to norfolk has been the best thing i've done in a long time Hmm. um recording present podcast with you exceptional gentlemen to one side it's like it's been a superb thing for me to just get out of dodge uh, and and get back into damp and muddy nature. So, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I've, it's it's transformed my life.
2: Yeah, I tell I I totally agree. I think Ed moving away from me from <laughs> me has been absolutely fantastic for for, yeah. for all of us really. We all feel a lot happier in London. Um, I haven't made you know.
0: quite far enough away from Mark to prevent him visiting, but you know, you know, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> Six of one half a dozen than the other.
1: Um, so looking forward then to the coming year and a question from Felicity, who again opens her email with some very nice things about the podcast and, and says that thing that a lot of people have said about how difficult the last few years have been and how important it's been to have some some sort of inspirational stuff to listen to, but inspirational stuff that is based in fact. And she goes on to say, it's led me to buy one of Mark's books and listen to Ed's Great Humbling podcast. So cha-ching on that. Um,
0: Yeah, because
2: because we make so much money out of both of those. (laughs) I mean, mean, uh, we actually make
0: not a single penny on The Great Humbling. So, you know, that is a gift of content. And yeah. you know what?
2: You know what happened to me this on the book. Um, I got I got a royalty statement from my publisher this year saying, "Oh, we've uh, we've sold the rights to your last book in in China, and that means you've cleared your advance. Are you're actually going to earn some royalties." I was like, "Great, fantastic! Finally!" I don't know it's only like six years. I might start earning some money off the book. Went and bought a bottle of champagne, and then they emailed and said, "Oh, that was a mistake. Can you send us the money back?"
0: <laughs> oh no that's so it's not quite as cruel as my publisher who said um i I asked him how sales were going and he said well put it this way we might have to start charging you for storage <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow oh. i can say so i'm actually paying you to store my unsold books that's amazing <laughs> I tell you
1: what we've had some uh, we've had some suggestions for topics that we could talk about. Josh wants us to talk about architecture and the building trade. We've had that one a little bit in the past, separate sort of housing which we've done. well for so Josh's um,
2: for Josh's entertainment later in this series, we'll be having the wonderful Michael Paulin, who is kind of an eco architect, systems thinker, and also the founder of Architects Declare which is all about the architects responding to uh, climate emergency. So he should look forward to that episode.
1: Oh, well, there you go. We've had a a fascinating email from Phil on the future of free will, who believes that there is no such thing as free will. Every act we do is a result of our upbringing. Therefore, the system is responsible for all crime and therefore all vengeance uh, as well. It's a fascinating email, something we may discuss. But if you want to do an episode on the future of publishing, because I will tell you what, that is a that's a horrible business to be in. Ooh. And the tone of your uh, the tone of your response there, Ed, is exactly it's become a very. Do you know what I hate now? The, the very last thing that matters to anyone selling a book is the content of the book. It's mm. all about doing something wacky to get mm. yourself trending on Twitter so that you can then say, "I've got a book out."
2: Drives me absolutely insane. If You look at publishers now; they are literally almost not interested in the in the in the content of the book that's not true of all of them I have to say there are some brilliant editors out there and there are some great publishers but really it's like what's the product how much of it can we shift and thing is uh, I was talking to Robin Ince about this because uh, we share a literary agent and and it took him it takes him ages to write books he said because you know who needs another book unless I can come up with a book that hasn't been written and I think is important there's no point in doing it But, you know, publishers, they're part of a sausage machine. They have to just keep all these books going out there. And it's kind of like, well, there used to be this idea that the book was this incredible font of gorgeousness and exploration and knowledge and whatever. And now it's just another fucking commercial item. So fuck you, publishers, for totally (laughs) hollowing out your own industry. And I say this just as I'm trying to get a new book deal. I was going to to say, is is this
0: your pitch for book three? (laughs) Yeah, you, you, <laughs> publishing world! I was
1: so nervous when you started that speech because I do this thing a lot you know when you're at a party or you're with people and you start slagging someone off and you think oh everyone's going to get in on this and then someone say oh, I actually quite like them I think they're really nice when you started I thought oh no he's going to talk about all the good things the publishing world does so speaking as a turd let me say how grateful I am for you ending <laughs> that fuck you publishers <laughs> anyway back to Felicity She says, what struck me from discovering the podcast in October is the focus on your early episodes on life after the pandemic. Although we are not yet in the post-pandemic world, it does seem there have been pockets of normality, she puts that in inverted commas, returning over the last six months. And she basically asks, are we on the sort of slow train to getting back to exactly the way we used to be. She says, I may be being overly negative. I'm also aware I'm only thinking of things at a very micro level. But if we're going to change, we all need to act as individuals. What is your perception of this and the longer term effect the pandemic has had on attitudes and behaviours, if
2: any? Well, that's a lovely small question. Thanks, Felicity. And
0: uh, very, (laughs) very,
1: very
2: very easy to answer. I think... Would have been a lovely book if you hadn't just pissed off every publisher. (laughs) in (laughs) country. i think that it's it's very easy to be cynical and what i'm hearing in that email is like do you think other people have changed and actually the answer to that question is doesn't really matter have you oh lovely very nice
0: i think the noisier people haven't changed as much as we might like but perhaps the quieter folk have an r which might be an extension of what Mark's saying there. I think the biggest thing through all of this and I think something we get from a lot of listeners in their feedback is you know this desire to, to keep learning and to keep open-minded and to um, accept challenge and and understand that the way things are shifting and changing perhaps in a slightly more slow and profound way rather than the usual media wind chop and, and surface waves. Um, I was reflecting on this type of topic actually in advance of tonight and I came up with a great cross quote from Robert Frost who said education is the ability to listen to almost anything without losing your temper or self-confidence. Um, which probably applies to most of our listeners <laughs> because, you know, you, you have to be able to, to listen to completely contrasting um, and challenging points of view, you know, without losing the plot. And I think we're, we're only just starting to do that in, in the kind of tail end of the pandemic. Um, and we now accept the fact that learning is a lifelong process, you know, and it's all about keeping abreast of change. And the most pressing task, as Peter Drucker said, is to teach people how to learn. And so if we are going to avoid just going back to normal uh, and applying the lessons and the insights of the pandemic, then we have to keep open minded and keep learning. So what are your hopes for the next year then? If if you could cherry pick some
1: things that you hope we will perhaps do as individuals or systemically, what what would you love to be discussing when we do our review of 2022? Well, there's Ooh. obviously
2: the Future Noughts live tour. Of course. <laughs> uh, right around South America and Australia. <laughs> uh, you know, I think uh, I I'm, I would almost resist that question because I think what you learn from doing this job is like hoping for things is, is problematic. It's just mm. like, what's the job to do? What needs to be done right now? What's the maximum effect I can make here? And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. I'll try again. So I think my biggest hope is that we are still all doing this podcast next year and still talking and we still have a a listenership. And that, for me, will be enough.
0: I think Mark's right. I mean, I think, you know, my hope would be it's not enough just to do good things anymore. You know, actually, one of my hopes for the coming year and beyond is that we've got to stop doing the bad things. You know, we can't just have all these like nice-to-haves like renewable energy and all the other things that are happening on the side. They've actually got to stop the bad shit happening at the same time because otherwise it's just additionality. Uh, And it doesn't matter whether that's a kind of socially and environmentally produced trainer uh, or the global energy system. You know, we've got to stop doing the bad stuff. Um, And I think on a slightly more sort of prosaic UK level, I think, you know, we have to stop things like the the policing bill you know which is genuine creeping authoritarianism from a government which is riding roughshod over our civil rights and our right to nonviolent democratic protest i think that's absolutely fundamental i mean you know we could be criminalized for going out and protesting against the leaders who are leading us into all sorts of dubious territory um so i think you know, we have to get off our asses, and that's a call out to everyone out there to write to their MP, to lobby the House of Lords, to, to, to do something about that. Um, and I think on a more positive note, I think that there's something really interesting stirring in some of the themes we've touched on in in the problems with social media and, and technology. Um I think we might have mentioned like the Ecosia search engine when we were talking about uh, one of the topics earlier in the series. But, you know, they give 80% of their profits to charity and they've planted 140 million trees off the back of people using Ecosia instead of Google. And, you know, Tim Berners Lee's solid um, web protocol, which uses what he calls pods, which is, personal online data stores so it basically puts the control of your data back into your hands which is something really powerful in terms of web disruption because it enables us to separate all the applications and the platforms from the data which is where all the money and power and insidious impacts are being made at the moment Um, and it touches on the idea of trust that we put trust back into people's hands and trust with the platform but it also gives us um, interoperability so we could actually swap platforms whilst keeping hold of our own data, rather than being hogtied to a particular platform, because that's where you've got all of your history and connection to. And and I think that's extraordinary. And then I came across a third one today, which was like it's called Supernova, which is a British social media platform, which some people are already describing as the Instagram killer. And it's giving 60% of its profits to charity. It's not driven by the sort of narcissistic likes um, that other platforms are. Um, Basically, when people click an approval on your particular post, um, that generates revenue for your your favorite uh, charity or your favorite good cause. They're going for 1% of the global social media advertising budget. Um, So they're they're trying to get 1% of advertising spend online. And they reckon if they do that, that will generate 600 million pounds a year for the good causes that they've got on board. Now, if Facebook did that, that would be 51 billion quid.
2: Yeah. Well, and there's, also, there's another uh, network called We Are Eight, which is starting up next year, which is uh, has worked out a way to give you the money uh, for watching an ad rather than give it to Facebook. And then part of that also goes to good causes. So I think there's going to be a lot of disruption in that social media space next year, actually making it social again, rather than extractive. I mean, basically, when you look at Facebook and twitter and instagram they are extractive industries they should be viewed very much in the same way that oil and gas are so it kind of like bypasses that whole 90 billion dollar funnel of shit into you know zuckerberg's pocket to basically carry on disrupting us into you know tribal narcissism you know fuck that you know so i think there's going to be a massive massive reinvention of social media in the next five years and thank god because, you know, essentially if you a historian will look at Facebook and kind of think that was like the dark satanic mills of the early internet. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: So let's discuss the positives of, of social media, which are that people
1: can reach out to the show and get in touch. <laughs> and they can own up to some of the awful things they've done. Which mm-hmm. brings us nicely on to ending the show in the confessional booth. So Don your what do you wear for these? Some sort of monk's outfit. Or... <laughs> so we've had a confession come in. Let's let's call this person Mr. Bush. Um, and this this person is known to me. Um, so Ooh, I Howard, should... how is it, how are they known to you? I'm not going to go into detail until I've read the confession, <laughs> and then I I may choose not to be associated with that person. <laughs> he says, "Hello, team." He's a language teacher. Um, For Christmas one year, at the end of the usual term of drilling irregular verbs and all that guff, Mm -hmm. uh, I asked my head teacher to buy me a ventriloquist dummy. I said I would use it in class to model dialogues, counsel children who may be too scared to speak to adults, and maybe make a few YouTube videos. The head surprisingly agreed, and it was done. The real reason I wanted the dummy was that I had been struggling to cope in class with the extra workload occasioned by the presence of two students and a very judgmental and extremely irritating teaching assistant who seemed to expect me to teach in an orthodox way, plans, targets, resources, etc. <laughs> um, I will say this is a teacher who used to belt a football around in the exam hall. And while I was doing my GCSE French, leant over my shoulder, tutted and sighed, and then walked away. (laughs) When you say unorthodox... He really means it (laughs) Um, As soon as Hugo arrived in class For the next session He took over affairs completely And I was largely uninvolved in proceedings I personally obviously refused to engage In lessons absolving all responsibility I suppose And the teaching assistant and her charges Went to study German instead of French Best wishes (laughs) Mr. Bush and Hugo (laughs) I mean I didn't know that story what um, what do you make of a teacher using a ventriloquist puppy to avoid having to teach students who are, in his words, too much work?
0: A ventriloquist <laughs> puppy or a ventriloquist dummy? Did I say puppy? puppy. <laughs> I don't know. It wouldn't be the first ventriloquist to blame his puppet for his own poor behaviour. I always remember when was it Rod Hull and Emu was on yes. Parkinson mm. with Billy Connolly. And um, and you know Rod Hull with Emu sort of went to lunge at Billy Connolly, and Billy Connolly just looks at him and, went and goes, "If that bird comes anywhere near me, I'll break its neck and your arm." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've just finished his book this week. It's absolutely brilliant, absolutely sensational. I, I know Emu is such a good writer.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very nice. I mean, the
2: confession. It's quite. Yeah. It's quite dark. It's a
1: man who I think has uh, left the teaching profession and considers himself beyond reproach. That's that's what I read into that, mm-hmm. the act of a man coming to
0: terms with what he's done and finding it quite funny. Firstly, I think it's great that he's got it off his chest, that he's yes. finally been able to unload that. I mean, that whole point of confessions is catharsis after all. Um, but equally, uh, I think if you're uh, the victim of disproportionate anality from a by-the-book uh, teaching assistant, um, where we all know that creativity, compassion and critical thinking are the key aspects we want to see in education, which aren't necessarily all predicated on plans and targets and resources. So, uh, yeah, I, I sort of empathize. This is the toughest confession we've had because the others have been
2: redeemable. But I'm not sure this one is. Yes. You can't undo that, can you? You can't undo
1: the, no. the disengagement with those difficult people. Perhaps they go on to excel in German
2: in a way that they never would have in French and become chancellor you know, yeah something like that. I've had a confession in from the, um, from some of my contacts at the cabinet office. Can I read it to you? Have you really? Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it says, uh, I, uh, for a long time as a small boy, imagined that I wanted to be in charge of the world. I've now become prime minister and have discovered that I am really shit at it.
0: <laughs> However,
2: I'm stuck here. And I don't know what to do. I've done some really bad things, and I slightly hate myself. What should I do?
0: Resign.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you've, we've discussed that it will be. It was a mixed bag last year. You skillfully—well, you didn't skillfully dodge my question about what you hope for next year. You told me you weren't going to answer it because it was horseshit, and I appreciate that honesty from you, Mark. <laughs> but um, just in terms of our podcast, then could we be a little specific? About things that will be coming.
0: Yeah, so well, we well, got a, we've already touched on the like the future of drawdown and carbon emissions uh, being sucked out of the atmosphere, which we'll do with uh, Dr. Gabriel Walker. Um, we've got the future of the citizen uh, with our mutual friend John Alexander, who's got a new book coming out called "The Citizen Shift." Um, and then we've got uh, the future of future visions, um, how we think about the future, uh, and then maybe even the future of aliens, just to mm. get us chewing on some of that ufo and fermi paradox type of stuff so Mm -hmm. plenty of good grist to come um to your ears in january and february yes
1: thank you for your company um thank you as always to our producer michael who remains silent but is lurking he's the reason that you continue to listen to this podcast because he takes out a lot of what we say that is frankly, on broadcastable. I mean, if you knew the truth about the three of us, it's a stunning edit job. Sometimes I listen back to it and I think he's taken individual words and structured entire conversations. I remember having a 45 minute conversation about how you get shit out of a quilt. And yet Michael has put that into a show Somehow, where it sounds like we're talking about the future of the climate. absolutely stunning
0: work he is the cassette boy of podcast editing
1: (laughs) i'm shitting frying panes (laughs) but i think we would all say um a thank you as well to everyone who's listening because as has been mentioned it's not a for-profit podcast and it exists only because the emails we get Are they're an inspiration and they're why the podcast continues because people are kind enough to say, uh, we've had someone email to say that they've set up a business off the back of this podcast. People have changed careers, which is a pressure I'm not quite comfortable with. But broadly, people say they enjoy the optimism, they enjoy the humor, and they enjoy having some of their thoughts on certain topics challenged. And that is reason alone for this podcast to exist. It's entirely the work of Mark and Ed, because all I do is sit and drink wine and pretend I'm following the conversation. So congratulations to the two of you, and <laughs> thank you to everyone who's taken the time to reach out and get in touch with us. And if you would like to, here's how you can do it. You can reach us by email at hello at johnandthefuturenauts.com. That's hello at john, J-O-N, and the futurenotes all one word, dot com. We have our own show Twitter account, which is at J and the F, and of course, you can reach us individually on Twitter too. I am at Ron Richardson, John Richardson with the first letter swapped around. That's what I've done there. And you can reach Ed and Mark at the following. I'm Ed
2: Gillespie at FruCool, which is at F R U C O L, and I'm Mark Stevenson. And you can find me at Optimist on Tour. Before we go, John, mm. you mm. always do this thing. This thing.
1: It's a podcast, mate. Call it what it is.
2: is, You do this thing where you always say that really it's me and Ed that make the show and you're always very generous about it and you're always very, oh, I'm just the kind of idiot who asks the questions. But really, that's not true. You are so smart and you are so thoughtful and the way you question people, particularly with the interviewees this season, has been pretty extraordinary. And if I could give you any advice of the new year, it would be to stop self-effacing your own brilliance. Well
1: I make you this promise then, because you should gratefully receive any gift and I'm very grateful for what you said. And let me tell you now that the first episode next year, I am going to be fucking unbearable. <laughs> Going <laughs> be the smuggest piece of shit you have ever encountered on any podcast.
0: Well, that's a New Year's resolution that you could perhaps live up to. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm
2: looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, I shall say welcome to John and 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 then I'll mumble and I'll probably get your names wrong. What do you think of that? last well, before. Please no, change well, Mr. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> we will be with you uh, throughout 2022 so long as you'll have us. Thank you everyone. Look after each other.